Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host tonight, Matt Filipovitz, joined by my talented and phenomenal co-host, Bill DeFilippo. Bill, hello, how are you? Overselling me a bit, but I'm doing all right. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing I'm doing great, Bill. It's a it's a very slow time in the college football calendar. Very. It is now officially a dead period, so recruiting's gonna pretty much be quiet outside of some commitments we're expecting earlier in the month of July. So, Bill, I can't think of a better way to fill up our hour this week than to play a little bit of a game. This one I have prepared today is going to be Penn State fact or fiction. It's kind of in the same vein as like our over-unders that we do around like mid-August every year. How does Mm -hmm. that sound? Does that sound good to you? Yeah, well, uh, if it didn't sound good to me, it'd be very weird if I agreed to do a podcast today. Uh, <laughs> so yes, it does. It does sound pretty good. Well, you are contractually obligated uh, to join me for a podcast at least once a week, uh, if, which is if, a lie. If there if there are contracts, I we've been doing them for a while. So if I don't remember signing them, that would be why. <laughs> All right, Bill. So I have I have five prompts really for us. It's just kind of just getting a, a broader feel for how we think the team is going to evolve. Um, how things are going to play out. And let's just jump right in, Bill, with, with this first fact or fiction, Bill, is this fact or fiction. The starting offensive line for Penn State against West Virginia will be different than the one against UMass. And I'm going to say don't count injuries here. But will we see a different yeah. offensive line for UMass, so after the bye week, than we will for the first game of the season? Yeah, and it's worth mentioning, I think, that UMass is uh, six games into the year. Penn State starts West Virginia, Delaware, at Illinois, Iowa, at Northwestern before it's by week and then a home game against UMass, uh, which is a week before their trip out to my backyard to play Ohio State. Uh, Real quick, what a phenomenal schedule pull this year to have like a game after the bye week that's not like atrocious. That's a huge win. Yeah, give me a sec. Let's see. Uh, Post spring SP plus. Where is UMass? 131st out of 133 teams. So we'll take when, it. Penn St- when Penn State's up seven to three after one quarter, that's going to be very funny. Uh, but I'm I am going to say false, and the reason why is because we know. Here, here's what we know on the offensive line. We know at left tackle, no one is unseating Olu Fashanu. We know at left guard, probably no one is unseating Landon Tangwall. We know at center, no one is unseating Hunter Norzad in all likelihood. And we know at right tackle, Caden Walls probably has a grip on it. Maybe they put Drew Shelton over there, see what they have, see if uh, how he takes to playing on that side. Maybe one of the freshmen step in uh, and impress, whatever that may be. So you're not asking a question about Penn State's offensive line. You're asking a question about Sal Wormley versus Vega Yoane. Uh, I mean, yeah, huge, essentially, yeah, yeah. I, that will not be the last time that I do this in this episode of the podcast. So I, I would basically say this: we've seen how much James Franklin values having those guys who have kind of been in the trenches, been in the wars, know exactly what's going on, and. Sal Wormley has played a lot of football, been around for a long time, been a guy, had an up-and-down season last year. Uh, Yoane flashed in the uh, situations where he did end up playing, and I'm positive that Yoane is going to flash when he gets onto the field. Just a big question that I have here is, I think you would agree, 
I think what this hypothetical suggests in your eyes, Matt, mm-hmm. is that you think West Virginia, Delaware, Illinois, Iowa, Northwestern are going to be games that Sal Wormley in all likelihood starts. And then if they are going to make some kind of big change, it is going to be during the bye week to have UMass as an opportunity to get game reps before going into Ohio State. And I just don't know if they're going to want to throw a guy as young as Yoane unless he goes out there and just completely blows him away. And Wormley, I think Wormley would have to lose the spot just as much as Yoane wins it. They would have that level of trust to say, all right, your first road start is going to be on the road against Ohio State against perhaps the best or second best defensive line in the Big Ten. I think... I think I would agree that it is kind of Yuane and Wormley as like the, the main thing we're watching, but I'm not counting out that Caden Wallace drew Shelton battle just yet. Like Shelton got on the field as a true freshman. I can't name the last time a lineman played as much as Shelton did as a true freshman and did not at least match that in his sophomore season. Like I, I don't think that's really ever happened. And I get it was a bit of a unique circumstance, but I think a lot of this comes back to that. There's going to be a platoon, I think, at least at two spots for that first month of the season. I think that right guard spot could be as high as, I don't know, what do you think, the like 70-30 snap reps between Wormley and Iwane? You you know, I'm not sure because we we saw what happened when Iwane got on the field as a true freshman and, again, Mm -hmm. really impressive. But he was also doing it as a true freshman largely against – uh, you know, Second the game teams. is put game is put away where Indiana, uh, Indiana's first team offensive line that was absolutely horrible or defensive line that was horrible is now being replaced by its second D de- de- uh, string defensive line. And he's able to go out there it's and worse. physically impose himself. So, well, yeah. so I don't know if it'll be that much of a split if they will do that much rotation because uh, they really own because that's the other thing here. They only have one game in that first month of the year where it's not going up against power five level competition. Uh, and that's when they play Delaware. So I, I, I am interested to see, you know, when you don't have, you know, uh, something like West Virginia and then Delaware and then Illinois and then UMass, something like that. And you can ease a guy in a little bit more. I'm interested to see how they handle it that way, because I don't necessarily know with what we know about James Franklin, unless he knows he has a sure thing at a position or a real tight, tense competition, if he's going to want to say, all right, Illinois, Iowa, Northwestern, we're going to kind of uh, play around with things in those games. I'm going to plant my flag here in that this is going to be a fact. And and a lot of the points you just mentioned, I I think ring true, but we've seen the staff give spot starts in the past when there's a competition going on. I think just to see how guys react to being the first guy out there. And I think Shelton and Iwane are guys who could potentially get a spot start, probably not in the whiteout, but in that game against Northwestern, in that game against Delaware, um, Illinois, I don't think you're going to mess with it for your first road game of the year. But I think in those two games, I could easily see the staff saying, okay, like Wormley, you got a ton of reps week one. This is now Delaware. You want to, you go out there and you get them in week two. And we kind of just see how this battle shakes out. So that's where I'm going to fall on this, but I I don't feel that confident about it. I'm just going to play the numbers game. Like we're talking about this offensive line as having this insane depth. And and this is the most depth we've ever had in this position, you know, under Franklin. So 
I just have to imagine to keep everybody happy and to make sure all that depth is getting, you know, enough playing time to, to prove that they can, they can go if somebody gets hurt. That's why I think we're going to see at least Iwane or Shelton maybe just get a spot start in there. So that feels realistic. Well, I, I, I'd say the other thing is that I don't know how happy you necessarily have to keep guys when at the bare minimum, four spots on the offensive line are going to be open after this season and right. you can hold a, you can hold a guy's hand. It, it, it's not like we're going into a situation, you know, we'll, we'll look at center. Mm-hmm. It, it's not like we're going into a situation where Hunter Norzad and Nick Dawkins both have to get taken care of because they're both guys who can leave after this season. You know, Nick Dawkins has put in a ton of time for Penn state football. And if he, you know, he has a really good chance of being the guy who starts at center next year because that's just going that's just what's going to end up happening. Next year being 2024. 2024, yes. Yeah. So yeah. I, I I don't necessarily know how much how ha- because what we'll again we'll look at the other side of this. It's very, very possible that Penn State's offensive line next season is left tackle Drew Shelton. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens with Alex Birchmeyer, Javen Williams, where they end up playing. But maybe one guy at guard, one guy at center, a guy in Nick Dawkins at uh, at center, maybe Landon Tengwall's put there, Vega Yuane plays. Like there's the, it, the thing with college football is that you kind of understand the meritocracy and that aspect of it and your time is going to be coming so I I don't know if you necessarily have to do the like mouths to feed thing that you do uh at wide receiver unless and this is a really where I kind of uh disagree on this with potentially rotating guys in unless someone just comes in and straight up takes a spot away from one of the more established guys uh whether that's Drew Shelton at right tackle uh you know Again, we'll see if he even makes the move over there and is viewed as a viable option there. Whether that's Vega uh, at right guard, the mix of a guy taking it and a guy losing it is what kind of has me going, okay, maybe that's where you see it. But right. I, I don't know. With how, much, with how much these guys have played football and how much optimism there seems to be about the depth, yes, but namely about the top end of Penn State's offensive line, I'm going to say uh, this ends up being false. All right. Totally fair. Bill, let's flip over to the defensive side of the ball. And this is one I'm, I'm really curious to get your thoughts on. And so, Bill, fact or fiction, a linebacker leads Penn State in sacks in 2023. So last year, Penn State uh, was led in sacks by Abdul Carter, who had six and a half uh, on the season. Chop Robinson was second with five and a half. Jair Brown, third, four and a half. Uh, and then tied for fifth were Adiza Isaac and Curtis Jacobs, who both had four. Uh, I am going to say this is fiction, and the reason why Ooh. it's it, it is nothing. It's not like that. I don't think Abdul Carter is going to be a menace, or Curtis Jacobs is going to be a menace. It's just when I think about passing situations, Manny Diaz is going to want to blitz, but I also don't necessarily think it's going to always be with a linebacker. Right? You know, he's going to bring cornerbacks. He's going to bring safeties. So let's say there are you know, 18 third downs in a game. At most, I will say, you know, we'll say half, so nine, maybe 10, Abdul Carter specifically is going to blitz or Curtis Jacobs specifically is going to blitz or a safety or a corner specifically is going to blitz. Every single time on those 18 third downs, a defensive end, one of Chop Robinson, Adisa Isaac, uh, Denai Dennis Sutton is going to be rushing the passer. So I'm basically just playing the numbers game. 
here, right. which is that there are going to be more opportunities for a, one of those three defensive ends than there would be for a linebacker, a safety, or a cornerback to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with you as well on this. I'm going to say this is fiction. And I, I made the point that the top three for Penn State edge rushers in sacks last year were Chop Robinson, a guy who was a first-time hand-in-the-dirt edge rusher, Adisa Isaac, a guy coming off an Achilles injury, which we've always heard has taken at least a year to come back from. And now yeah. that full year has passed. Now it's year two. And then a true freshman in Deny Dennis Sutton. So while those three weren't these like menaces off the edge that we've seen Carl Nassib, Adafi Owe, Itor Grossmatos be, I think they can take a really big step this year and be the guy who gets home as opposed to the guy who flushes them from the pocket and then Abdul Carter or Curtis Jacobs or, or Jair Brown comes and cleans it up. I think yeah. that's going to open up a lot of opportunities then for Manny Diaz to maybe do some more exotic things in coverage as opposed to blitzing if they're getting that good production up front. So this feels like a, a pretty strong likelihood that an edge rusher leads Penn State in sacks. And I wouldn't be surprised if Penn State's top two you know, sack guys aren't both edge rushers. Do you think that's fair to say? Yeah. It, uh, again, it's just kind of playing that numbers game uh, that – in passing situations, more often than not, it's just going like it's easier to bank on those sorts of edge rushers being guys who are going to be getting after the quarterback. Yeah, yeah, and and, and, it's, and it's and it's banking on their talent. Chop Robinson's yeah. a five star guy. Uh, Deny Dennis Sutton's a five star guy. Adisa Isaac was a high four star guy. Like, it's not it's not like uh, the reason that Abdul Carter won't be getting after the quarterback so frequently is because teams are able to focus on him. Or something like right. that. Penn State has game-changing talent among its top three guys at defensive end. And then beyond them, it's, you know, guys who may not be viewed as, again, that kind of game-changing talent in a Smithfield or Zariah Fisher or Mean Vanover, but guys who have still played a lot of football and know know what it's like to be Big Ten football players. If you had to pick right now, who leads Penn State in sacks in 2023? Um, I'll say Chop Robinson. Okay. I'm going to go with Deny. I'm going to go with Deny yeah. Dennis Sutton. I feel like I, he's tweeting enough to put it out there into reality. I feel like he's the one who can really get it done. Um, it it, it would not. Me. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. Like he is. We none, saw none of those three would surprise me. Adisa wouldn't surprise me either. Adisa, Adisa would only surprise me uh, in that. I think he is the third best of that group. I also think that the, being the third best guy among those three players would be a starter for basically every other team in the big 10. So oh like, it's not, it's not, it's not a mean Vanover right too, like a crazy disruptive player. Like yeah. there's maybe, yeah, maybe they're going to eat into each other's reps more than like the linebackers would though, for something like this. Like, I don't know. This is going to be, I have to really take a step back and think on this, but I, I do still think an edge rusher will lead in sacks, but maybe, maybe the top two won't beat out a linebacker. So we'll discuss this. We'll discuss this as we get closer to the season. And Bill, let's stay on the defensive side of the ball and let's stay on the defensive line. And a lot's been made of Penn State's defensive tackles, especially how they hold up in the run game. This really dates back, I think, to Illinois 2021, where they got run over. Um, And it was really, I think, put on the national stage against Michigan last year. And the roster was updated this week uh, with new weights and with the with the last scholarship players arriving to campus. And Bill, fact or fiction, you are less worried about the defensive tackle room after seeing the latest roster update. And I'll read off the numbers right here, right now. 
And these, this isn't the roster from like the spring roster. This is from the 2022 season to the current roster. So there's yeah. been a few iterations, but this is last September's roster to now. So Hakeem Beeman was 264 last year on the roster. He is now 284. Zane Durant was 276. He is now 280. Jordan Vandenberg was 295. He is now 301. Caleb Artis was 315. He is now 320. Devon Elise was 295. He's now 302. Kaziah Izzard was 292. He's now 294. And they added they added Ty Blanding. I'm leaving him off of this. True freshman. I'm not asking him to play yet. But Alonzo Ford, the old Dominion transfer, is listed at 287. So for those at home, last year there were two DTs on the roster over 300 pounds. One was PJ Mustafer coming off of the ACL injury. One was Caleb Artis who was for sure a redshirt candidate. So really no fully healthy, active defensive tackles. Now they have three. And again, those three are Jordan Vandenberg, Devon Ellis, and Caleb Artis. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm again going to say fiction. I, I, I need to see them do it. I need to see that they are able to hold up in the running game against a team like Michigan. You know, they're going to have a really good test of this uh early on in the season against Illinois uh mm-hmm. which I, I I don't remember off the top of my head if Illinois is bringing a ton back along its offensive line give me one second they're not yeah, uh, and Chase Brown's gone which is also yeah, humongous. Chase, Chase Brown's that also was gone. an animal yeah and Reggie Love Josh McCray nice running backs guys who uh you know guys who flash but yeah certainly no Chase Brown but they're going to have a game early on in the season against Illinois a team that's going to want to be able to push them around move them around quite a bit and that that is far more important to me in feeling better about Penn State's defensive tackles than seeing what they weigh I mean obviously the fact that again we're talking like I, I said in the first thing we're going to say talking about specific guys we're talking about a guy like Hakeem Beeman here who put on, uh, you know, 20 some odd pounds is up to 284. That's great. That's an encouraging sign. A guy like Jordan Vandenberg above 300 pounds. Now Devon Ellie is over 300 pounds. Like they have some beef Zane Durant's now at 280. They have some beef at defensive tackle, which is mm-hmm. a really good thing. Again, an encouraging sign, but I need to see it before I believe it. And until I see it, I'm going to say that's fiction. Will you, if, let's say they go out there and they hold Michigan to like, let's say, or I'm sorry, not Michigan, Illinois, to like under four yards a carry. Is that enough? Or is it like you have to see it against Michigan to really know what they are? I think it, getting a glimpse of it uh, against a team like Illinois would be, would be really impressive. I mean, that's something that mm-hmm. I, I'd really be happy about. I mean, last year, uh, you know, kind of an example, and obviously the quarterback situation impacted this considerably. They held Minnesota the 3.6 yards per carry. Uh, if they did that before the Michigan game last year, we would have talked ourselves into them being able to shut down Michigan's running game. So I'm agreed. It's a great point. So I'm again, I, I want to see it. I want to get a, that first glimpse against Illinois. I want to start ga- gaining a bit of information off of that. And then the way the schedule breaks down for them. Illinois, Iowa, uh, Northwestern will start to get a really good sense of what this defensive line group is. They're going to have a big, big test against Ohio State, which, uh, you know, their situation to tackle isn't great, but they do have some size on the interior of their the, offensive Their interior line. offensive line is real good. Ohio State yes. is going to be really good up the gut this year, I think. With some very good running backs yep. uh, in their running back 
room. So if we could get through that stretch as Penn State fans and see that Penn State's defensive tackles are really, really holding up, then I'm going to feel a lot better heading into that Michigan game. If the fe- we watch that game against Illinois, ooh, they get moved around a little bit too easily. Iowa moved around a little bit too easily. Ohio State just able to run all over them. They don't need Kyle McCord to do much of anything or Devin Brown to do much of anything uh, because of just how they're able to run the ball. Then we're going to get we're going to look back on this conversation, the fact we even asked this question, and feel like fools. So for now, I am going to say fiction. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this is fact. Personally, I feel a lot better about this room now that I see that they can bulk up and that everybody is willing to bulk up. Like Franklin's comments after Michigan last year, where it was like famously, I believe the the purpose of the sentiment was everybody thinks they're Aaron Donald. Most people aren't. And I think mm-hmm. that's a specific call out for a couple of players. I think especially Hakeem Beeman um, and the fact that he went out there and he put on 20 pounds from last season's roster to now, I think shows that he understands what he has to be in. I've been on this Hakeem Beeman hype train for four years. He was awesome in 2020. And he was 298 pounds during that 2020 season. Like, I think that if you think back to 2020 to 2021, they needed edge rushers. I think he slimmed down to be a hybrid guy. He was suspended for all of 2021. He couldn't prove he couldn't play it that way until 2022. And it kind of blew up in everybody's face. I think him bulking back up is going to be huge for this team. And then you add in Devon Ellis, who I think played really well last year in relief of PJ Mustafer. Like, nice job. I feel like he made splash plays in very limited opportunities. And for a guy who stuck it out to year five, I think he understands what he can be and what he has to be. And then another guy I want to make sure I call out is Kazai Izzard. Like, he's listed right now at 294. What do you think, though? That's three hamburgers away from hitting 300. And I think he lost a lot of momentum being suspended for, or at least missing, the first month of the season last year. But I think he settled in pretty nicely. So right there, there's a lot of guys I feel confident can go out there and really hold their own. And they have another, what is it, 66 days to bulk up, you know, when the time this episode drops. And, you know, it'll fluctuate throughout camp. But I think being at this weight at this point of time shows that the that unit is committed to bulking up and holding up against the run, against these elite level, you know, running teams. And that's a great sign. Like, I think Dion Barnes has a new culture in that room. And I'm just really excited to see how this continues to develop. And listen, if they're... If they're 15% better, that's that takes this defense, I think, maybe to one of the best, if not the best we've ever seen of the Franklin era. Yeah, it'll, it'll certainly be up there. I mean, it's still, this is the one, like, major question that I have about Penn State's defense. It's just how how much bite do they have up the middle. And, I again, it's an encouraging sign, but it's also an encouraging sign that can look really, really foolish really, really quickly you know, see, you know, it, it, it's these things can go from how many college football fans over the years have said, oh, this guy's gotten bigger and therefore he's going to be better. And then as it turns out, that doesn't happen. So encouraging sign, a sign that uh, you hope turns into, uh, you know, once the season rolls around, uh, we're talking about a really, really good, talented, deep, disruptive defensive tackle room. But we still got a little bit of a ways to go uh, before it can go from feeling hope to feeling, or, or yeah, I say feeling from hope to feeling optimism works. Do you think they can go? They can go true three deep. You think there's six guys here who can absolutely make an impact like right away? 
Ah, uh, poof. That's that's a tough one. D, uh, Beeman, Ellie's, Durant, Izzard. I feel good yep. to one extent or another about all of them. And then, you know, Jordan Vandenberg, athletic freak who uh, has never really had to do too terribly much on the field last season. Mm-hmm. Nine tackles, one and a half for loss, half a sack, which is obviously a uh, nice uh Devon Townley, a guy who was in the portal, uh, decided to come back. Don't really know what he is. Don't really know what Caleb Artis is. Real quick is. on Don't Townley, really I know. left him off this list because his weight did not change uh, in the listed weight. That's oh. why I left him off. All right. And don't really know what Blanding is at this level. Don't really know what Ford is at this level. So I say they have a two deep and then uh, Vandenberg is kind of of the next guys up I feel pretty good about. But no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go as far as to say they have a full three deep. Here. I think I think Artis is is a, also a viable option for that fifth spot, just because he played towards the latter half of the year. Um, and if you're a true freshman and you're physically ready to play along the defensive line, I think that bodes well for you. Like I get it wasn't a big role, but to see him go out there and get some game action, uh, I think really bodes well for what he can be moving forward. So I, I like that, and I think they can ease him in with that true deep, true two deep, excuse me, and at least Jordan, maybe Jordan Vandenberg ahead of him. So. That's kind of where yeah. I stand there. And Bill. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me. Let's talk about Home Field Apparel. What's up? What about them? Home Field Apparel is our podcast sponsor. They make some of the coolest college athletic apparel out there in the marketplace today. T-shirts, sweatshirts, crewnecks, hats, joggers. Home Field Apparel is always out there. They are refreshing their collections pretty much on a weekly basis at this point. And there was a Penn State hat that dropped a little bit ago, and that's on top of their 15-piece Penn State collection. And our listeners can get 15% off their first order with promo code ROARLIONSROAR. That's all caps, all one word at checkout. Bill, you have more than a few home foot apparel items. Is that correct? That's that's one way of describing okay. it, yes. Okay. What what's your go to? Like, let's say it's not football season. You're just going out. You're going out to watch like a friendly. You're going out somewhere in Columbus. What do you, what if you had to pick a home field shirt? What are you rocking? Uh, I'm rocking this uh, shirt from Home Field Apparel. <laughs> uh, no, obviously, obviously not. I'm going to go back to turning mine and Matt's cameras off uh, for one another now. For our, for our podcast listeners, uh, Bill held up a very gorgeous. No, All no, right. Don't, All right. don't tell them. Go to YouTube. Right, fair enough. Go to YouTube. For the funny joke that I just right, made. Fair enough. Uh, roar, li- <laughs> roar Lions Roar at YouTube as well. Oh, God. I I, I, I enjoy when the ad read goes off the rails because that's what Home Field Apparel gives us money True. for. Uh, I would I would say probably my Take Me to Happy Valley yeah. shirt. I, I love that one. It's a really cool design of the things in the current Penn State collection. Um, which, you know, fingers crossed, knock on wood, whatever. There's going to be some more stuff coming at some point down the line, uh, you know, praying to the football guys of that. Uh, that's just the coolest design uh, for my money. That one I love. And then the uh, gray Happy Valley shirt yeah. are probably my two favorites right yeah. now. Yeah, I have more than a few things from them. And, and I'm always happy to rock my Take Me to Happy Valley crew neck. And again, our listeners can get 15% off their first order with promo code Roar Lions Roar at checkout. Thank you to Homefield as always for sponsoring this podcast. And Bill. Let's talk Catron Allen and Nick Singleton. How does that sound? Yeah, that's fine by me. So fact or fiction, Bill? I want to make sure I word this right, because I wrote this down in the notes app, and I didn't really figure out how I'm going to word it. So fact or fiction, Catron Allen and Nick Singleton will flip their production 
than what they had last fall. So last fall, Catron Allen led in attempts, but Singleton led in yards. So in 2023, Singleton will lead in attempts, but Allen will lead in yards. That fact or fiction? I'm going to say fiction uh, because I think that Nick Singleton is just going to lead in everything. Okay. Wow. Really? I think. Even with Trey Potts. I think it's going to eat into a guy like Singleton's reps. Even with Trey Potts. Wow. Okay. Well, if Potts is going to be getting in there, I think he's going to be getting in there as more like the steady hand, the guy who's going to churn forward and pick up a couple of yards here and there. And I think that's more likely to bite into uh, Allen's slice of the pie than Singleton's. Uh, And a large part of this is that, like, I legitimately think that Nick Singleton, by the end of this season, has a real case for being the best running back in the Big Ten. And that's with Blake Corum. That's with Donovan Edwards. That's with uh, Travion Henderson. That's with, insert the name of Big Ten running back here. I just think this guy has so much talent. He is so good. Uh, he, He is so good and so dynamic of a running back that when you put him out there and you, when you, when you put him out there, he is just capable of doing incredible things. And I think that with young running backs, it could be easier to have that. And then the consistency comes later. And there were, there were certainly plenty of times last season where one foot plant in the dirt, get those extra couple of yards. Allen was better than that. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if he is still better than that, but I think Singleton gets close enough in picking up those kind of gross, nasty uh, two, three, four yard carries that Penn State needs that they feel a little bit better about riding him on the, in the, in those opportunities. He's actually list, uh, listed, excuse me, at a higher weight than Catron Allen is right now, which surprised me in the latest mm-hmm. roster update. Um, but I'm, I'm with you on this, Bill. I'm going to say this is fiction, uh, and and. I have a bit of a different reason. I think Penn State's going to be up by a lot of points very early in a lot of games. And there's five scholarship running backs on the roster. Uh, so I would not be surprised if a Trey Potts or a, a London Montgomery, if he's healthy, or a Cam Wallace, you know, while they're preserving their red shirts, come in there in a lot of games and just eat clock. Like, I can't see a reason mm. to risk getting Singleton or Allen Hurt. Uh, and I just think Singleton's going to hit more home runs. That's what it comes back to for me. I think Allen could, sure. if if I didn't think this team was going to be you know winning by large margins like I think they were early in the year, uh, and that's what it's going to come back to for me. I think I think that Singleton's going to sweep the categories as well. Um, and, and again, it's just going to come back to I think Penn State's going to be up by a lot early, and from there on out, I think it's just going to be younger guys or Trey Potts going out there and, and earning their carries. Um, I mean, you think about it. There's the five scholarship running backs in the room. And then there's guys like Tank Smith and Tyra Holsworth who played in like multiple games last year as walk-ons. Like there's a lot of mouths to feed to keep guys healthy in blowouts. So I, I just don't see enough snaps to go around on that front. And any, do you think that's fair? Like, do you think it's crazy that they'll be up by a lot and they'll kind of change their philosophy with that? I, I You know, I'm not opposed to that idea. I'd certainly like that idea. Right. But here's, I think, the other way of looking at this question. Yeah. Last season, Katron Allen had nine more carries than Nick Singleton. Correct. How likely do we think it is likely, possible, probable, whatever, that Singleton is able to make up that difference of nine carries, ten carries to get more? I think I would say yes, that does sound like a thing that is plausible. The other side of it, Nick Singleton had 194 
more rushing yards than Katron Allen did last year. That's an extra about game and a half or so, maybe even two games of rushing yards that he had on Katron Allen. Do we think it is likely that Katron Allen is able to make up the gap in rushing yards to make this question uh, come to fruition? I would be, and this is not a knock on Katron Allen at all. I think he is an unbelievable running back. He's the most underrated player in the Big Ten, I think. He's, he's up there with anyone. I, I But I would be stunned if that ended up happening. Does Singleton returning kicks change anything for you? I'm, I mean, Saquon Barkley returned kicks, That's so like not really. Fair, fair enough. Fun activity, Bill. If we had known against Purdue what we knew by, like, say, Auburn, do you think they would have gone with – the staff would have gone with Katron Allen to kind of churn out yards to close out that game? Like, it was clear early on. Allen was a guy who could pick up three yards pretty much every time he touched the ball. Like, do you think, you think in, in hindsight or, you know, in an alternate reality that that's something that happens? Allen's the guy who just, they try to ice it with and Clifford maybe never throws that pick. Uh, it's an impossible question. I, I know it's, it's hard. to. Yeah. It's now. an impossible question. I get, I guess I would say no, because that game, I think we as fans, as a general thing, talk about the long term and talk about uh, if we knew this, then would this have happened? I think we do that generally as fans a lot more than coaches do because the job of a coach is to win the football game that you are playing because if you don't, you are running the risk of a thing spiraling you being on the hot seat, you losing your job. So I guess I would say no to that question, which, but as you said, it is ultimately unanswerable. Uh, but I will say, no, I think they would have just gone with the guy that they know in, uh, in Kayvon Lee in that situation. Okay. Fair, fair. That's it. I, I, I think they might've gone with Allen. Like if they knew what Allen was like against Auburn, I think maybe that would have changed the course, but again, who knows? So well, I, well, I guess what I, I guess my question is: Do you think the guys that watched every single second of game tape that he had, going back to when he was probably in like eighth grade, and watched him develop over the course of his entire high school career, and then got him in and watched him during winter ball and watched him during spring ball and watched him during summer camp, didn't know what they had? In I him? think it's hard to know what you have like when the lights come on. Sure. Yeah, I I, th- I think that they, they thought they knew what they had. And I think that, you know, being up by a billion against Auburn and, and that beat down against Iowa kind of confirmed it, uh, if that makes any sense. And that, that's kind of where I'm at from that standpoint. All right. Bill, last one here. And this is the one I think you and I are going to disagree pretty heavily on. And I'm excited to talk about it because both you and Craig disagree with this. Shout out to Craig, um, one of our one of our podcast rotation pieces. Um, but Bill, fact or fiction? Penn State's TE2, the second tight end, will be more productive than their third wide receiver. I'm going to say no, and it's because of how so they... This is fiction. Yes, I'm saying this is okay. fiction. And it has to do with... Uh, the question that you are asking is a question of basically Tyler Warren and what they ask him to do versus a guy like... Trey Wallace versus a guy like Dante Cephas, however you want to kind of define that. And the reason that I will say no is because 
for how good of how interesting of a player Warren is, you looked at how Penn State used him last year and how it seems like Penn State enjoys using him, which is everyone look at this, everyone look at this, everyone look at this. Oh, by the way, Tyler Warren's over there. We're getting him the football right now. And I think that's a really good way to take advantage of his skill set. I don't necessarily think that means now that Brenton Strange is gone, he is suddenly going to get, you know, a world more opportunities playing tight end. I think it is more likely that they are going to go with one tight end and three receivers or uh, maybe put two receivers and then a running back in the, an actual running back in the backfield, something like that. I don't necessarily, for how much I like Tyler Warren, how skilled I think he is, how unique his skill set is and the fun stuff they do with him. I think it is more likely that they go with a different guy, you know, more snaps at wide receiver and continue to use him as a guy who benefits from everyone else focusing on other things, everyone else's eyes going in a different direction than Tyler, we're going to put you out there. You're going to catch the football 35 times this season. Uh, You're going to have near nearly 400 receiving yards. Congratulations. You are one of the more productive second tight ends in all of college football. I, I wholeheartedly disagree with you on this bill. I, I don't think he's a gadget player. Like when I see Tyler Warren, I see a third tight end behind two surefire NFL players who forced his way onto the field as early as a redshirt freshman. Like he was in there for some big moments, fourth and one against Ohio state. Clifford throws the ball to Tyler Warren, the converted quarterback, like the uh, Purdue game. Clifford goes to Warren to set up the cave on Lee touchdown. Drew Aller looks to Warren on a flag route. Uh, unfortunately he dropped, but it's a hell of a ball on his first series as a quarterback. Like I don't view Warren as this like fun gadget player. I think he's a legitimate tight end. And, and, you know, I see the way they used Theo Johnson last year. I see the way they use Brenton strange. And I, I don't think that Penn state doesn't have productive wide receivers on its roster. I'm just going to bet on like five guys occupying that wide receiver three spot at different times throughout the season and Warren being that consistent TE2 presence is just going to lead to him having better stats, being a bigger part of the offense. And I, again, I just think Warren's a, a much better player than, than we're giving credit for. And I get that's a lot of projecting. I think you said he had, what, 10 catches last year total or even like 10 targets. It wasn't anything crazy. But the third tight end in college football rarely has a big role. And Warren had a big role and he made big plays in big moments. And that's what it's going to come back to for me. Like, I'm a firm believer that Tyler Warren is a legitimate college FBS tight end. I don't think he's a gadget player. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. But, but I, what, sorry, go ahead. What I what what I was basically saying, uh, what I basically say is that you know you you kind of did it there by s- mentioning the situations where he did stuff. It's situations where. All right, we're keeping our, our our we're going to have cornerback one is going to be over on uh Mitchell Tinsley. Quarterback two is going to be over on uh on Parker Washington. We're going to have someone on Keandre Lambert Smith. We're going to have make sure we've got the back all taken care of. We're going to be right here. Brenton Strange are not going to be able to do everything. Like the focus and the attention in situations like that 
when a guy like a Tyler Warren, a guy who, again, caught 10 balls in 12 games, not because I don't think he's a good football player, but because they were using him more in situations where they knew they were going to be able to get easy yards from him. Like the touchdown he had against Minnesota, that's just a clear break in the coverage. They're playing cover two. He just runs right up the middle of the field. I think he's a guy who benefited. And again, we'll see what happens this Mm -hmm. season, see how they use him uh, again with Brenton Strange gone. If they go with still try to do the two tight end thing, if they're going to go with more wide receivers, whatever that ends up looking like, are they going to do that? Or are they going to go with the guy in Warren who, like you just mentioned, his big breaks, the situations where we remember stuff with him are situations where he was a beneficiary of a defense not focusing on him, which there is a skill in that. There is a lot of trust in that. Like again, fourth and one. There's a a lot of trust on him. I'm not disagreeing in that. But Mike Yurcich has to set up for that. Sean Clifford had to set up for that, identify it, uh, say, okay, here's the coverage that we have. Tyler, you're going to get this right here. All these sorts of little things would go into place. I want I, one thing I do want to see with him is is he able to kind of take that next step and go? You know, I believe it was against um, Michigan. It might have been Michigan State where he went over and just mossed. Uh, yeah, it was awesome. Mossed a cornerback and scored a touchdown, which is a really, really impressive thing from him. But he's a guy who get, has a lot of flashes, a lot of little moments, a lot of situations where they went to him, and it was. You know, I would have the question, like, why are, why is he not a bigger part of this offense? Last season, uh, he registered 250 snaps. Strange had 611. Johnson had 478. Among the wide receivers, Mitchell Tinsley had 689. Parker Washington, 498. Keandre Lambert-Smith had 402. Trey Wallace had 375. So, I, you know, it, it, it was always just interesting. It might have just been the guys ahead of him. But I also think if he was – you know, if they believed in him as like this no doubt guy we have to feed and get to be part of this offense, especially with the issues Penn State had to at consistently getting the ball to its wide receivers last year, I think we would have seen a little bit more of it. Okay. But again, I'm not I'm not sitting here and saying like he's a bad player, he's not a talented guy, he's not a guy who has a role in this offense. I just think that it's more likely if you're asking me who is going to have a better season between, you know. Trey Wallace or uh, or Tyler Warren, I would probably be inclined to go with Trey Wallace, in part because Trey Wallace caught nine more footballs than he did last year. Right. Then I guess the other side of this is, do you feel confident in one guy, like being wide receiver three for a lot of the year? Or I guess wide, re- wide receiver three in concept. There's multiple ways we can look at this question now that I'm kind of thinking about it. Sure. What do, what do you think? Uh, I think when you look at Penn State's wide receiver room... In all likelihood, Dante Cephas, Harrison Wiles, Keandre Lambert-Smith are going to be the three guys starting. Mm-hmm. Um, Omari Evans probably ends up getting a little, getting the most run out of that next rung of guys. And then you're hoping for a guy like a Liam Clifford or a Caden Saunders to kind of take that next step. So the reason that I'm going to say, yes, I have faith in that is Omari Evans, Liam Clifford, Caden Saunders, Malik McLean, Tyler Johnson, Malik Mega, Anthony Ivy, Carmelo Taylor, Christian Driver, like all these guys are guys who are talented, guys who you have hope in. But to again go back to the thing that I've said a million times on this podcast, 
I need to see it with them before I'm willing to say, I think Caden Saunders is going to be the guy who unseats Harrison Wallace, uh, becomes Penn State's wide receiver three, and he is going to get chance after chance after chance to do it. Omari Evans gets the same thing. Liam Clifford gets the same thing. And it eats into production so much that a guy like Tyler Warren is able to catch, again, 35 footballs next season. Yeah, 35 footballs for Warren would be a humongous jump. Um, sure. And just, yeah, I, I just threw a number out of my head. If you want to say, if you want to say 20, 25, by all means, I, I mean, I don't think, there, I don't think 35 is unrealistic. Honest. I, I don't, I think there's going to be well, enough play well, action. Well, Brent, Brenton strange caught 32 passes last season. And I'm not willing to say that Penn state second, the guy we agree Penn state second tight end is going to be, is going to catch more passes than Brenton. Strange Good point. Last year. Yeah. But I wonder if like the, uh, they're, they're not being a Warren esque third tight end. I just wonder what that does for, you know, certain sets and for the rotation, it'll be, that's again, it's a boring one, you know, in the grand scheme of things, but the third tight end battle was one I'm really intrigued by. Um, and we'll talk about that later on. Bill, that's all I got. Anything else you want to hit on? It sounded like you were pretty happy with how, where the, how the NBA draft shook out Jalen Pickett to the Nuggets yeah. and Seth Lundy to the Hawks. Uh, basketball is your nine to five. You want to, you want to get on your soapbox here and, and talk about the fits here and, and the likelihood that these guys get some good minutes. Yeah, I was going to. I was going to say we should pro- we should touch on the draft a little bit. Um, Pickett is uh, obviously the big story uh, of the draft. One, a, a guy who, uh, you know, I believe Jeremy Wu of ESPN um, mentioned it. Something to the extent of the Nuggets did not hide how much they love Jalen Pickett in the lead up to the draft. Uh, very smart, very very uh, intelligent player going to be a really great fit next to Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, uh, Aaron Gordon, and Michael Porter Jr. They're in Denver. And a guy who, listen, gun to my head, I think Denver probably got a little too ambitious oh God, yeah. in trying to get yeah. him. I don't, I think, I think they were down at uh, 30, I think they were down at 37 or something uh, like that. I don't think they needed to necessarily trade up to try and make sure they got picked, but I'm really glad they did because that's an unbelievable fit. And then uh, Seth Lundy to the Atlanta Hawks, the stuff that he does is stuff that there is value in. Any NBA team would love a guy with his ability to shoot the way he, he competes on the defensive end of the floor. And he's going from a team in Penn state where, he had a, a head coach who was really good at generating open looks for him in Micah Shrewsbury and a point guard who was really good in getting him the ball in his spots in uh, in Jalen Pickett to a team in Atlanta where if he plays, and this is obviously a big caveat for any guy in the second round, if he ends up playing and not spending the entire year in the G League, uh, Quinn Snyder's offense is really good at getting looks for guys. Trey Young's about as good as it gets at generating open looks for guys. So, you know, all in all, I think it's about the – that it's hard to imagine two better spots for the two Penn state guys who got drafted. And then Andrew Funk heading to a uh, uh, Denver That's for awesome. summer league. That's going to be so cool. That's going to be fun. Yeah. He, he, he is going, I'm not going to summer league this year, which I'm a little bit upset about, but I wouldn't be surprised if he has a game or two where his shooting uh, earns him a look from some NBA teams, potentially a little bit longer than the one that he's going to get in uh in summer league. So very happy. I'm very happy just in general with how things broke down for Penn state guys uh, during the NBA draft. And also uh, shout out to Lamar Stevens had his uh, team option picked up by the Cavs. Uh, yes. So making, I think 1.9 mil next year, uh, like not, that. not too shabby uh, for the Philadelphia natives. So 
shout out to Lamar. It's it's just really cool that those are all really good teams and they're all going to feature, I think, a Penn yeah. State or playing, you know, some semblance of, of meaningful minutes this upcoming winter. So should uh should be a fun basketball season when that rolls around. But Bill, we are 68 days from college football at time of recording. I want to make sure I give a shout out, Bill. We got to 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts. I want to give a shout out to Colorado PSU 15 for getting us there. He left a very nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And if you, dear listener, have not done that yet, please go out there and leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Be sure to follow us on Twitter over at RLR blog. Bill, before I do the full full sign-off here, Anything else you want to add to send our folks off into the rest of the week? Uh, no, nothing really. It's uh, like Matt mentioned at the top of the pod, we're in kind of a, I don't want to say a dead portion of the college football calendar, but we're kind of in the calm before the storm. Yeah. So uh, I hope everyone gets a few day, few weeks to just, you know, unplug, not think about college football. Uh, you know, go to a baseball game, go to a soccer game, go to a WNBA game, whatever you end up doing, go out to dinner with your family, spend a Saturday doing something that isn't college football, because uh, we're right on the verge of being two months away from our Saturdays being busy for the next couple of months. I'm going to the Phillies. Uh, they're at Wrigley this week. I'm going, uh, I'm going twice. Oh, nice. Yeah, they're nice. playing three weekday night games, which is like unheard of for Wrigley. Um, so I'm really excited that I get to I get to fit them all in my schedule. Um, I'm going Wednesday and Thursday. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing my beloved Philadelphia Phillies. And in just a few short months, I will be back seeing my beloved Penn State Nittany Lions. Bill, thank you so much for joining me. Shout out to our YouTube viewers. If you're not following us on YouTube already, we're over at Roar Lions Roar on YouTube. We always have a pretty lively, you know, community down there in the comments. If you guys have any thoughts on these fact or fiction, you know, drop them down there. Let us know. Again, you can find us on Twitter over at RLR blog. And thank you, as always, to Homefield Apparel for sponsoring this podcast. Again, that's 15% off your first order with promo code ROARLIONSROAR at checkout. Bill, that's all I got. So for my co-host, Bill DeFilippo, I'm Matt Lipovitz. Take care, everyone, and go State.